when there's like market trends or whatever, it's basically like one outlier book, you know, like um, Colleen Hoover can make it look like there's right. a genre trend, but it's really just like she made a new book, you know, or like one middle reader breakout book will make it look like there's a huge surge in demand for middle readers, but it's one book, you know, so it's like much more useful when you can see market trends that are, you know, more than one book. Hi, I'm Joe Beal, the founder and CEO of Microcosm Publishing. I'm also the author of A People's Guide to Publishing, which distills what I've learned from selling millions of books over the past 28 years. I'm Ellie Blue, the Vice President of Microcosm. We started this podcast to share what we've learned with newer publishers so you can learn from our mistakes. Or maybe you just want to learn about the publishing industry. There was a lot of information revealed uh, this past year by uh, the company that handles all the book scan data. The market has grown in really interesting ways over the past three years, perhaps because of COVID. So what are the market trends that you can actually pinpoint so the biggest one was that the there was a 12 percent market share shift that came from the big five publishers and the smaller independents and that all went into the 100 to 150 largest independent publishers so does that include us um, it's hard to know exactly, and it doesn't include us because we don't report data to them. Oh, right. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> but we did see more than a 12%, you know, I don't know if we got, well, we may have gotten 12% of somebody's market. So we are likely part of this trend, even if unreported. Right. We Yeah, we were in that very likely. Um, and so what happened essentially is that you know, if you've been following this podcast for the past three years, then you know that there's been a certain shift in consolidation, you know, like HarperCollins bought Houghton Mifflin some years ago, and, you know, Hachette bought Workman. So I don't know if I should ask what's going on with the smallest publishers, what's going on with the biggest publishers, or what's going on with the growing middle. Um... Those are all very good questions. You should ask all three. All right, uh, please lead on. The small or the largest publishers we learned when uh, Penguin Random House tried to buy Simon and Schuster, and the Department of Justice put them on trial. That neither publisher has grown in the past ten years. They've been stagnant, which is exactly the wrong trajectory for the people that have all the scale and all the power like they should never have a problem growing Thanks. you know they control they have the best access and you know they have all the resources so if like they can't grow that's weird and um and so all of their growth has been through distributing independent presses ah uh, so they're helping the middle but uh, sort of sort of they're, um, I mean, they're, that's a little more complicated to get into thoroughly, but, um, and then the smallest presses, they have the leverage problem where they have no, 
you know, they're dependent on so many other organizations and retailers and, you know, sets of variables and they're largely susceptible to like giant risk of returns and, you know, those are the kind of publishers that'll be a little too reliant upon a distributor who is a little too reliant upon Amazon. Mm. And so they just have the most exposure in general. And the pandemic really fucked them. Yeah. And in general, it's just like you just don't want to be in a position where you're relying upon people that can't be relied upon, you know? And True that. And the middle publishers did really well because, you know, they're both able to grow, have, like, very clear value proposition they're very unique in lack of competition they're well defined in their concept and scale they just don't have the sort of you know they can carve out a part of the market for themselves really easily and they can be a little more they both can have solid cash flow and the ability to borrow money mm. and they're just able to be a little more forward thinking than the bigger companies while it, while being simultaneously able to buy smaller publishers and add them to their cachet. But my question I guess is like what has changed? Like what caused this shift? Um, I don't know that, you know, I think it's just like we're seeing the long-term effects of consolidation. Mm. Like up and down the chain. That's my assessment. So, you know, I mean, in all those ways where there's fewer distributors, there's larger reliance and dependence on distributors to go to market, whether that's like your own department as a distributor, you know, whether that's like, you know, your Penguin Random House and you're relying on the publisher services department or whether you're like a small press dependent upon you know an outside distributor and um you know in my meeting this morning one of the more interesting things was about how at a larger publisher you know the editors will present the books to a sales team but it'll be in a really one-sided way where it's like sometimes literally in a recorded video call, not for the purposes of eliciting feedback. Mm. So it'll just be like, okay, here are the new books and here are all the talking points and here's what's interesting about them. Whereas for a smaller publisher, a sales conference is like more of a two-way street where the salespeople are empowered to say things like, you're sort of getting it wrong here. You know, or like, this is the wrong price, or this is the wrong package, or I don't think you entirely understand the audience of this book. And that's, you know, I think that's a really fundamental difference, because what happens, especially in like old world publishing, is that editorial gets so siloed from the reality of the marketplace... Mm. that acquisitions aren't informed by that feedback and then if there literally is no feedback 
<laughs> then, you know, like, what do you think happens? And then people don't retire out of these jobs. So, like, as you know, the person that did that job in 1990 is probably still doing that job at a big company, you know? Right. And so that's, like, kind of, I think, where that stagnancy comes from. Mm-hmm. Whereas the middle publishers, you know, they're not... They don't need the books that sell 50,000. They need the books that sell two to 5,000. And they just need a lot of them, you know? And that's attainable. Whereas the books that sell 50,000 are a lot more difficult to, or in the cases where they're obvious and not difficult, they're more squabbled over because, you know, it then becomes a bidding war and then it's sold at a price where the publisher can't make money. That was a lot of information. And I feel like we're getting into a whole different podcast episode. But that's why... That's the answer to all of it. That's why the bottom struggles because they're like made to fight over shelf space and scraps. And the top struggles because they can't innovate. And when they do, they can't do it quickly. And the middle does very well because they're sort of allowed to pivot and like respond to changing circumstances. Thanks for joining us once again. Please send your questions to podcast at microcosmpublishing.com so we can answer them on future episodes. And please give us five stars on iTunes and everywhere else that podcasts are reviewed. You can find us on the internet at microcosm.pub. On Twitter at microcosm... On Facebook at Microcosm Publishing. On Instagram at Microcosm underscore pub. And here in Portland, Oregon on North Williams Avenue. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week.